I like watching your smiles when you're watching your town on that video. It's fun, fun to watch every week. Hey, I heard a story um, uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, that I thought was pretty good. It's about a nine-year-old girl who was in her fourth season of swim team. Her parents put her in swim team because when she was like five, because th- they saw she was like a fish in the water. She loved to swim. She loved to, to you know, she loved uh, everything about the pool and that kind of stuff, and, and she was good at it, so they're like, let's put her in swim team, and, and things were going well in, in the fact that she liked the team, she liked the people, she liked the pool, liked the coach, uh, this, it was a good social outlet, but the, the problem was, was she wasn't winning any races, like, at all, like, she was coming last almost every race and they started to worry about like is she going to get discouraged but it didn't seem like she was getting discouraged because she just kind of kept going and just kind of kept going with the flow and enjoying the time and, and so but it came to this point in time where the, the mom uh, it was at the beginning of the fourth season the first race the first swim meet um, her mom is, is, is getting her ready for the the events and writing out the events on her arm with like a sharpie pen and and, and she finally looks at her daughter she says honey look at me I want you to get out there, and I want you to win that race. And the, the little girl's eyes got big, and she said, it's a race? <laughs> I thought we were here to meet people. <laughs> because we call it a swim, not a swim. Yeah, that's what we call it, is a swim meet. And, and, and this poor mom felt like what every mother and what every father who has ever lived, and if you're ever going to be a parent, you're going to feel this way at some point in time. It, it, she's just like, I am a complete failure as a parent. I mean, we've been doing this for years, and I never explained to her that this is a race. And on the flip side, this little girl, she wasn't, you know, she was feeling something completely different. Her, to her, the, the world came to life. All of a sudden, all this stuff around her started to make sense. Why they had to get up so early. Why everybody was cheering. Why the coach was intense on these days. Why at the end of the day, some people are getting medals and such. She's like, oh, I get it now. It's a race. When I I heard this story, I thought to myself, this is it. This is a perfect example of what Love Where You Live is all about. This series that we've been doing this summer, if you've been with us, you see where I'm, I'm going with this. This series that we're in called Love Where You Live, that's what it's all about. It's in a blink of an eye, the little girl, her perspective changed. The world around her did not, you know? Like everything was, it was still a swim meet. But in, in a blink of an eye, her perspective on it changed, and she started to look at swim meets differently, And she started to win, actually she won that race and the next race and the next race and she like qualified for all this stuff because she finally got it. And see, that's what love where you live is all about. If you're just joining us, we're talking about this idea of of not not just loving where we live, not just enjoying where we live in Evergreen, Colorado, although it's enjoyable, and not just believing in God, although we should believe in him, but, but actually, through Love Where We Live, we're talking about the opportunity, the unique opportunity that you and I have to partner with what God is doing in Evergreen. That's what Love Where You Live is all about. And maybe through these weeks, as we, we talk about these different topics, there's a sense of you like, oh, it's a race. 
oh, I have this opportunity. Oh, God is at work around me in the, 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 in where I live and with my neighbors, and I can be a part. We said it like this the very first week. We said, um, we said that we, we love where you live is a special opportunity to look and view your location, your vocation, your vacation, and donation differently. To look at your location, that is where you live, the neighborhood, the neighbors that surround you, the people who are there. That's not just a house, it's, it's, it's a home, it's a neighborhood that you have an opportunity to intersect with people's lives in a way that's special that maybe no one else has. Your vocation, where you work, as much as you hate to say it, is, is you have a unique opportunity to, to, to love there and, and to, to intersect with people's lives there. Your vacation, what you enjoy, or what you enjoy to do uh, with your hobbies when you have a Saturday morning off or, or time off, what do you find yourself doing? What do you find yourself talking about? That's a way you can connect with people around you. And of course, your donation, what you have to give. That includes your money, your stuff, but also your time. And we said, it, it, see, we have an opportunity to look at the world differently where we live, work, and play. And, to see, and really to see it as God sees it. That's what we're trying to do through this series. And when we start to live with that sense of purpose, we start to look and see things differently. It's a race. You, see, you, you follow? You see the connection? Good. Um, week one, we talked about what happens when a group of people love th- live this way, when, when they love where they live. And we looked at the, the, the early church and how they scattered throughout the world and changed the world. They turned it upside down by loving where they live. The second week, we talked about in order to love where you live, you need to be able to, to address the mess. You need to walk towards the messes that surround your life. Loving where you live is kind of warn of a warning week, that it's a messy thing to do this, but it's totally worth it. And then last time we were together, was really special as we talked about, in order to love where we live, we need to look for lonely people. That as we follow Jesus, if we, if, if, if we call ourselves Jesus followers, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, eventually as you become more and more like him, you'll find yourself looking for lonely people because that's what he did. And, and, and the, the power of an interaction, the power of words that we can have, that you can do, you can do this. And, and, and we, we prayed, we had you put names up on the board and, and, and people that you're praying for uh, and hoping that you can speak into them. You are worth knowing and you are worthwhile. It was a powerful, powerful time. Today, we're going to continue the conversation. And what's been cool about Love Where You Live is it's kind of in- unintentional, but we just keep coming back to stories about Jesus, the teachings, the parables, the actions of Jesus. Week after week after week, we find ourselves, oh, we're looking back at Jesus. Today is no different. We're going to look at another interaction, another parable of Jesus. And it's found in Luke chapter 16. I'm guessing it's a parable that, that only a, a couple of us are familiar with. It's not one that's, very, it's not one that's talked about a lot. The, the, the ones that are talked about a lot are in Luke 15. Luke 15 is all about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Maybe you've heard of the prodigal son. That's in Luke 15, and these are parables, these are teachings. What, see, a, a big part of what Jesus came to do was, it, was to, it was not just to save us, to, 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 to be our hero and to die on the cross. That's true. He did that. But a big part of what Jesus did was he actually came to, to help us see as the Father sees, to help us see life as the Father sees life. And in, what he did in Luke 15 is he said, this is how God views people who are far away from him. 
He views them like a lost coin. He views them like a lost sheep, something valuable, something worth going after, even a lost son. That's how God views sinners. And then in in, in chapter 16, it's like Jesus says, but I'm not done yet. I want to teach you how, how God views one more thing. And, 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 he, and so he starts this parable in, in chapter 16. And in, in this parable, Jesus explains to them, this audience that, that he was talking to 2,000 years ago, and we get to read it today, which is so cool. And so he get, we get a chance, Jesus gets a chance to explain to us, don't put that up yet, and he explains to them, and maybe even to us, what, what, what it is to see God, to have God's view of money. This is what he's going to get. He's, gonna, he's like, I want you to see how God views money. Now, pause, question. Do you want to know how God views money? Okay, three of you want to know how God views money. And I totally get that. I understand. Like, like it's kind of intimidating. Like, I'm not quite sure if I want to go there. In fact, if, if you're, if, if you might even be thinking, this is why I have a hard time with religion. Is It's like the whole money thing. Like, I hate it when you know, pastors and preachers ask for money. And if that's you, I totally get it. I would, I would resist it too. And I'm actually, if that's you, I'm really excited you're here today because we're going to get to learn God's view on money and it might surprise you a little bit. It might, you, there, there's, there's something about it. It's probably not what you think. And so I'm excited to, to, to dive into that. Uh, but I, I just uh, for a second, imagine, you know, we're talking about Having God's view of life, of, of God's view of, you, of your neighbors and your location, God's view of what you do at work, and that that would be good, wouldn't it? Imagine if we had God's view of money, of our donation, of our possessions, of our stuff. It'd be interesting. Let's find out what Jesus has to say. Jesus says this. This is Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, this is not a true story. This is this is a parable. This is but it's a it's a story that people can relate to because it's a scenario that's real life. There's a rich man, and he has a manager. He's he's so rich he has a manager. He's people managing his stuff underneath them, who was accused. All of a sudden, the, the the rich man learned that this guy was, this manager was wasting his possessions. So he called him in, him being the manager, and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management. Because, in fact, I don't even want to hear about it. You can't work for me anymore. You cannot be my manager any longer. And all of a sudden, this manager is kind of in this dilemma. He, this, this, this money manager realizes that he only has a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to, to leverage, to figure out, okay, what's my future going to look like? He says this. He says in, in verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? I just got fired. My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, <laughs> and I'm ashamed to beg. Pretty good emotional intelligence on this guy, right? Like, I don't want to work hard, but I don't want to beg. So I got to figure something out. I've never had a callus in my life, you know, like it's just not me. So what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden in verse 4, it's like an aha moment. He's like, he says, I know what I'll do. And pay attention to this. I know what I'll do now. I, I, I added the word now. But I know what I'll do now 
in the present, so that when, in the future, I lose my job here and now, people will, in the future, welcome me into their houses. Okay, so, so he's got a little bit of time and a little bit of money right here now to make his future palatable, livable, and he doesn't have to beg, and he doesn't have to work hard. Let's see what he does. Here's his plan. Verse 5. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and we find out about the, the master and what he does a little bit. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And the guy replies, 900 gallons of olive oil. So he's like a commodities trader, this, this, the, the rich guy. He trades commodities, and there's this guy. He, there's a guy who owns him 900 gallons of olive oil, he, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, because I don't have much time, and make it 450 barrels. <laughs> At which point, Mr. Olive Oil is saying, really? He's like, yeah, I'll cut it in half. He's like, really? You're going to do that for me? Yeah, hurry. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay, so they, they do the transaction at the end. I, I, I picture, this isn't in the Bible, but I picture Mr. Olive Oil shaking the manager's hand saying, thanks, man. I, I, I really appreciate it. If there's anything I can do for you in the future, just let me know. <laughs> the manager sits back and says, oh, I will. And it might be a little sooner than you think. Goes to the next guy, Luke 7. Then he asks the second guy in line, how much do you owe Guy says, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. 80, you know, so you only have to pay 80% of what you owe. And, and you know, I, I picture it going the same way. Really? Yeah, really. No. Are you sure? Yes. Hurry up. Let's go. Well, thanks, man. Is there anything I can do for you? Yep, I'll, I'll let you know. On down the line, this goes. And then, and then, um, um, at this point in time, after, as Jesus is telling this parable, I mean, he's truly the master teacher because at this time, in an audience that's, that, that has rich people and poor people and a whole bunch of people in the middle, everybody's paying attention. Everybody can say, you know, like is, is waiting to see what will the rich guy do when he gets home. And I think at this point, Jesus just smiles because he knows he's got him. And he's about to drop some, some, some knowledge on them. He's about to show them God's view of money in the coming statements. And it's going to trip them up. And just, just a warning, as we go through this, I, I think personally, as we go through this next portion of, of Scripture, I would rather be in this room. As cool as it would be to be able to go back in time and watch Jesus you know, teach and stuff like that or be there, I think it's better to be in this room because Jesus gives three or four points that, that don't seem to connect. Almost. And it's like, Jesus, wait, what, did you just change the subject? And if you were just hearing that, you would be like, I don't know what you just said, but we have Bibles. <laughs> we get to read it. We can go home later on today and look up Luke 16 and say, now what did he say about this? And we can really chew on it. So we're going to chew on it together but let's let's look at what jesus did he's smiling at this point he's just told them about how god views sinners and those who are far from him and he's about to tell them god's view of money he says this in verse eight the master came home and commended praised or applauded that could mean the dishonest 
manager. Not because he was dishonest, but because he had acted shrewdly. Everybody say the word shrewd. That's our word for today, the $5 word for today. And then Jesus goes on to say this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. To which everybody in the audience, and maybe in this audience as well, is like, huh? What? Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The rich guy liked what he saw. The master, which by the way, in a, in a parable, anytime the master, it's always God. What, 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 what the master saw was this dude was shrewd. And he liked that. He saw that he was clever. He was smart. He was sharp-witted. He was thinking about his future. Shrewd means, see, shrewd means could, here's another word we don't use often, prudent. He saw what he, his future held, and he did something about it, thought carefully about it. He saw, he saw, you know what, I only have a little bit of time and a little bit of money, and I'm going to make this count. And what Jesus is saying, he's like, I wish church people were more like that. I wish, when it comes to this thing about being shrewd, it seems like the people who are from the world are more shrewd. They get, they get about this idea of like, hey, hey, go get, you know, go get good things for you for the future. They understand that better than church people do. I wish church people were more like this guy. And then he begins to unpack what he means. I, I'm guessing Jesus was looking at the confusion. He says, let, let me, let me, you know, let me uh, explain a little bit more. Verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth, at which point we're like, what is that? Opposed to what? Like space wealth? Like worldly wealth? I don't know. To gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, that is worldly wealth, which it goes away, right? We, you know, have all been through that. We've all lost money. We've all had something and it got stolen or whatever. He's like, when it goes away, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. To which, again, we're like, what? It's, it's what Jesus is trying to say is, I want you to use your stuff, your wealth, in such a way that when you step out of this life and into the next, into eternal life, there will be people there who welcome you and say, thank you for the way that you use your stuff in the last life. In other words, again, this is, again, Jesus is trying to explain God's view of money. And if I could put it into one word based on what he says, one of the ways that God views our money is it's almost like a tool. I want you to use this. And see, it, what Jesus is saying, he's like, okay, when it comes to your stuff, when you're looking around, when you're at home and you have all this stuff, or you look at your bank account, all these things, you got your car, it's easy to think, okay, what, what am I going to get from this? What will I have to show from this? Will, what, what happiness will this? What will I be able to do with this? What will I, I, if I got this car, I could do this. What will I do? And, and Jesus is like, you're so close, but I want you to just change it a little bit. I don't want you to say, what will I have to show for this? I want you to say, who will I have to show for this from this stuff? That's what Jesus is saying is, is what, change the question from what will you have to show to, to who. And, that, and then you'll start to see how God looks at your money. Now, I want to pause here because some of you might push back and say, okay, so does God have a problem with stuff? I, and, and the answer is no, absolutely not. He created that stuff to give us good things. 
In, in fact, go, let's go back to Genesis. If you're familiar with the Genesis story, God creates something on day one, and he looks at it and he says, that's good. Right? He says, it's good. And then on day two, he says, he creates something, and then he says, it's. And on day three, it's. And, and, and day four, and then finally, it gets to the day where he, it, it, things are really good. It's just all good. And then all of a sudden, it's all good as he's creating the what in creation. But the day he creates Adam and Eve, and he creates the who, he starts to say it is very good. And that's what, what Jesus is saying. He's like, yeah, you can chase the what. You can use your stuff for you and to get more stuff. And that's good. It'll, it'll be fun. I, I don't believe the, the phrase ha- that, that money can't buy you happiness. I actually, I think, I think money can buy, money can make me very happy right now, today. Give me $10,000, I will go have a blast. So will you. It's good. And what Jesus is saying is if you change it, the what to a who, you go from good to very good. That, that, that's what happens. You, you can get good things by asking yourself, what will I have to show for it? The better question is, who will I have to show for it? And that's, see, this is God's view on money. It's a tool. It's a tool. He says, I, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I want to pause here for a second. And I want to say, I, I want to I commend the people in this room. Because I, I don't want to come across and say, you guys don't do this and you need to do this. There, I want you to know, if, especially if you're new to our church, there, you're in a room that's full of people who get this. You're in a room that is full of people who understand this is just all, it's like a game. It's like a tool that I get to use to, 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 to connect with others and to, to connect with, with the people who God values most. And I want you to know, like, when we went out to, to when we set out to, to, to build a church, actually, let me, let me rewind even a little further. Christy and I are good at this. We were not always good at this. There was a time that if you had looked at my life, you would have said, Josh, you are not generous with your time, your money, and you're definitely not generous with your time. It's all for you. You're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, what can I get out of this instead of who? And then in the 2000s, for like 10 years, we got surrounded by, uh, we met people like the Penningtons, the McCombs, the Rishkanas, the Tuckers, the Males, the Nunezes. We started to see people around us living in such a way like they, they, they just gave. They didn't see this stuff as their own. They, they just, they saw it as a tool to, to, do, to, to work where God is working. And we said, we want that. We started following people like that. And then, uh, uh, fast forward a few years, and then it's like, you know what? We need, to, we need to make a church in Evergreen. We need to build a church. Not because Evergreen needs another, another church, but we need more. To, we need lots of different churches for lots of different kinds of people. That's why we decided to make another church. And so we, so we, we said, okay, who, who will we recruit to help us with this church? And it was like, Christy and I like, it's simple. Let's find people who do this. Let's find people who love where they live, who view their location, vocation, vacation, and donation differently. And let's just ask them to join the team. And when we asked them, a lot of them said, why me? We said, it's simple, because you love where you live. And, 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 and y'all, here's the plan. <laughs> this, is, this is Colorado Life Church's plan in a nutshell. This is where we're going in the years to come. This is our plan. We're going to do two things. 
We want to build environments like this, church environments on a Sunday morning. And church is not just Sunday morning. You guys know we don't believe that. But on Sunday mornings, if people come in we w- that, that don't normally go to church, we want them to love being here. We want them to be able to understand what's going on and say, I don't know if I agree with that, but can I come back next week? Because my kids had a great time. That was a good place to be. That, that's, what, that was like, that's part of what we want to do. The other part is just simply we want to take the people who, who call Colorado Life Church home and we want to encourage them to love where they live. That's it. If, if we, we, we set out and we said, if we can do those two things, God can do amazing things through us. If we can build a church that people who don't go to church love to attend and then we can encourage church people to love where they live and, and, and see that happen, look out. It's on. Okay, that was a side note, but I just I get excited talking about what we're doing here. So th- there's, there's the tool. Jesus says it, it's like God's view of your, of your stuff is it's a tool. But he keeps going. He's got more to say. He says this in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, which kind of sounds like a Chinese proverb, doesn't it? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Again, it's almost like, Jesus, are you changing the subject? And he's like, well, yes, I am. Like, yeah, money's a tool. But there's, here's a, God also looks at your money and says, not only is it a tool, look at this, whoever can be trusted with very little will also be trusted with much. It's a test. Not only is your money a tool that you can use to gain relationships with people, and, and it's a test to see if God can trust you, which we don't like that, do we? I don't like the idea that God is testing me, but I was thinking about it this week. I was like, why does that surprise me? Because as a parent, and if you're a parent, you know this, and if, you, if you're not a parent yet, if you get, become a parent someday, you'll see yourself doing this. You test your children all the time, don't you? The parents are nodding right now like, yeah. And it's not like mean tests, like you don't make tests that they can fail. You're actually giving them tests that you hope they pass so that you can, you know, hey, I'm going to let you stay out till 10 p.m. tonight. I know it's kind of a big deal. Go have fun, but be home at 10. And in the back of your mind as a parent, you're like, I hope they're home on time because I want to trust them and I want to trust them with more. You see, we do this all the time as parents. Why are we surprised that God our Heavenly Father would do something similar with money. Uh, whoever has been trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. He says in verse 11, So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See, and that's the point. That's what God wants to give each and every one of us. He wants to give us true riches. And these things that you have right now, your home, your stuff, your money, that's a test. Those are, those are, those are cool things. And they won't lead to true riches, but they can be used to gain trustworthiness so that God can give you true riches someday. That's his desire for us. He goes on to say, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, this is verse 12, who will give you property of your own? Give you. Key word. Again, again if, if, if the idea of talking about money in church bothers you, 
I want you to look at those two words, give you property. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants to give you good gifts. He wants to trust you with good, uh, with, with true riches. It's a test. It's a tool and it's a test. And, and then this last verse gives us the last thing that, 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 the last way that God views our money. He finishes by saying this, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one, the one, and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says this really interesting phrase. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Which to me, since it's the Bible, I would think like, okay, if it's in the Bible, you cannot serve both God and Satan. God and evil. God and sin. No, no, no. It's, you cannot serve both God and money. And, and I think the reason why Jesus said this here, and he says this so many times. Did you know Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell and salvation combined? And here's the reason why. Because the reason why is he came to give us God's view on money. And from God's point of view, God knows that the chief competitor for your heart and my heart is our stuff. It's our money. For one simple reason. The false security it gives us to make it feel like we don't need him. I, don't, I, I, I got everything I need. I mean, look around. I, I'm in Evergreen, Colorado. Life's good, right? It keeps us, we, our stuff can, can, it, it can make us happy for the day and then we don't realize that our hearts yearn for God. We need him. And God knows that, that our chief competitor for our heart is our money, and which is why Jesus talks about money all the time. See, this is the last piece right here. You cannot serve both two, two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Our money is, is our stuff is a tool. It's a test. And lastly, God's view of our money and our stuff is it's a trademark. What Jesus is saying here is how you use your money brands you. You know what I mean? Like, like have you ever seen a person who's extremely generous? They just give and give and give. It's, if, if we do that for God, we, we are known as his, him. It's like it's a brand on us if we use our stuff, if we see our life as for him. It, it's a brand. It's a trademark. So the question is pretty simple to end. What do you got? What do you have? I want you to seriously think about this. Nothing would make me more happy than if you walked out of here today and you walked into your house with a different eye. (laughs) You just walked in and said, okay, God, let's take stock. What do I got? What do I have? And here's another question, and this this is a harder question. But this this is us starting to act shrewdly. Start asking, okay, God, not only what do I have, but what do I have that's just kind of collecting dust? Not, not literally, although it could be literally. But like, what do I have that, that, that isn't, like, like, if I was managing a portfolio and I had all this money around, you know, like, I had money here, money here, money here, and I'm looking at that portfolio, and this money over here has just not done much recently, and I'm a shrewd day trader, what would I do? Liquidate. Get out of there. 
and go over somewhere else? And, and that's a harder question. What do you have? I mean, we're not, day, we're not all day traders, but we all have stuff. And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably have stuff. We're like, you know what? That, what is that being used for? Yeah, it's a great collection, but really it's just collecting dust at this point in time. And is it, it you, do you need to get rid of the collection? Is it sin to have a collection? No, stop. Those are good things. But could you use those? If, if you converted those good things into something else, could it be good, used for very good things? How would it affect who as opposed to what? What do you got? What do you got that's just sitting around? And I, and I want to st- end by saying this. We're smart people. You're smart people. You understand shrewd better. You might not use that word, but you understand shrewd better than you think you do. As, as we talk about, as, as, we, as we love where we live shrewdly, as we talk about encouraging each other that way, you know this better than you think because you've all gotten the job, right, and, and put your best foot forward and made the resume look good and, and, and um, uh, you've all gotten the gig or the, you've taken, you've made it happen or made the, the sale. You know, we've all done that, those kind of things for what we wanted to see happen. And if you're, if you're a student in the room here, I want you to know you're shrewd too. More shrewd than you know. And if anybody disagrees with me, all I want you to do is go find me a 13-year-old girl that's deprived of an iPhone. And tell me she's not shrewd. To go find a 13-year-old girl who is, all of her friends have an iPhone, but she does not. And her parents just told her, okay, listen, you can have an iPhone, but you've got to pay for it yourself. I tell you what, She'll be on the phone. She'll be pounding the pavement. She will be making it happen. In fact, there's some middle school girls here that are nodding their heads like, give me that chance. You're shrewd. You don't think students are shrewd. Show me, show me a, a, a college kid. <laughs> show me a college kid who's in love with a girl, and he just found out that that girl might have similar feelings for him, but she's torn between him and one other guy. Just follow, you don't think they're shrewd. Follow that guy around for the next 18 hours. You'll watch him learn to play guitar. You'll watch him learn to write poetry and maybe even take a shower just to, to, to woo the girl. You know shrewd. We know shrewd. The question is, will we deal shrewdly with what we have? You know what you have. You know what you have that's just kind of sitting around. Liquidate it. Will you be shrewd with it will it be said of you and me will it be said of us that we used what we had in this life as a tool for building what truly matters and that is relationships will it be said of you and me will it be said of us that we passed the test that we took these little trinkets that god has given us in life and and because of that we're worthy of true treasures because of the way we handled them Will people welcome us into eternity because it's a, and thank us for what we used our stuff here for? Stuff, tables, houses, meals, plane rides, just simple things. And we converted them into something that truly matters. It will be said of you and me that we're known for generosity, that, 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 that we have a trademark on us and said that, 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 that Colorado, it will be known that Colorado Life Church is a generous church because of what we give and how we serve 
the community. Will that be our trademark? The years, the next couple years will tell. You've got what it takes to do this. I, I feel like I'm saying this every week. You can do this. And in doing this, you're being like Jesus. In doing this, you're starting to see as God says. Or, or will we get to the end of our life and say, it was a race? <laughs> I didn't know. Well, think about it that way. I pray not. I pray not. Let me, let me pray for us right now. God, we want to see as you see when it comes to money, when it comes to stuff. And that's hard for some of us. I like my stuff. Um, for some of us, money is a hard conversation. I, my prayer is that today, in these next few songs, that we might reflect on what is your view? God, help me to see as you see. And help us, Lord, as we walk out of this place and actually be the church after church. We go be the church that we would see our stuff as a tool, that we'd see the, uh, soberly see it as the test as what it is, that you're, you're looking to see if you can trust us with more. And that, you, that it's an opportunity that our money, our stuff, is an opportunity to be branded by you and say, this is God's. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for this place. Thanks for these people that I love so much. For this, this period of time, thanks for the perspectives that, that you give us when we walk with you daily. We get to see how you view li life, and it changes things. Thanks for that. Thanks for that you care for us that much. Amen.